Tasha L. Harrison is a romance author and creator of the 20k in 5 days writing challenge. From that challenge, a wider community was sparked, and Tasha now hosts the Wordmakers Writing Community, where writers come together to do the writing work. She recently co-edited the current anthology, Volumes 1 and 2, which is 12 brand new stories from black romance authors to support the water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. You can find links for everything Tasha does in the show notes or description, depending on where you're watching or listening to this. I hope you enjoy this conversation about marketing and business as a fiction writer and finding your own way of doing things in an industry where there are set structures. Whether that's the same kind of business you have or very completely different, I hope you can be inspired by Tasha's story, the way that she approaches things, and also how she looks at things like growth with her business. Welcome to the podcast, Tasha. It's so good to have you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so excited to chat about everything. Um, so to kick us off, though, tell the audience who you are and what you do. Uh, my name is Tasha L. Harrison. I am a romance author, freelance editor, and host of a community called Wordmakers, which is a writing community on Mighty Networks. All of the things. I love it. Too many things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, first off, I kind of wanted to start out with the start, like the origin so with um when you first started your business you were working in healthcare mm. but freelancing on the side with like a side hustle and I feel like that looks different to everyone so what did that actually look like like what services were you offering uh I was basically working two full job full-time jobs um I was editing pretty much full-time I was taking like two jobs a month which I do developmental editing. So that's like big picture, deep editing, like character development and all that kind of stuff. So very mentally taxing. And um, so I was doing two of those a month and sometimes I was doing um, like just like regular critiques alongside it, making decent money, like really good money. And I hated my job. Okay, Let's rewind. I didn't hate my job. I liked my job. I liked, I worked in elderly healthcare. So I loved working with old people. They're amazing. They always have the best stories. Love talking to them. I just hated my coworkers. Did not like my coworkers. It was difficult to come to work every day to have to deal with them. And um, that never really improved. So um, I had to have surgery in uh, August of 2019, I think. And I was out for six weeks. And when I came back, I was like, oh, no, I can't do this job anymore. <laughs> I was like, I, there's nothing here. Like, I have nothing left for these these people that I work with. And it just got really difficult. And then, um, like, after Thanksgiving, they were like, uh, we need you to work. We need you to switch to night shift. And I was like, oh, no, not doing that. I was going to wait a year. I was going to wait a year. Like, I was saving my money so I could have my little cushion or whatever. And I was like, you know, I was like, okay, after a year, I'll just quit. And I didn't even make it like six months. It Like they came to me to work night shift. And I was like, mm -mm, no, 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 can't do it. And the I knew that all the editing work I was doing was going to catch me because I was, I was turning away clients at that point because I just didn't have enough hours in the day with working the day job to also edit as much as I, you know, like as much interest as I was getting. And then I quit and immediately the world shut down. So that was interesting. Um, couldn't have planned for that. <laughs> and uh, edited for another year and a half and then ended up quitting editing for a while just because it became too much um, for lots of reasons. But, you know, 
how can I say this nicely? Uh, anybody can write a book and that's great, but anybody can write a book. <laughs> so I found myself doing a lot more teaching than I was, you know, just basically editing what was on the page, like teaching authors how to write a book. And that was not necessarily what I wanted to do. And I found myself getting frustrated with that process. Also, I just wanted to write more. So I quit editing and then I wrote like six books. <laughs> yeah, you really uh, didn't hold back on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, I quit editing tomorrow. I'm publishing a book. <laughs> well, I mean, that's amazing that you then turned it around and very quickly was able to to do those books because I think sometimes, and maybe you were burnt out, but sometimes like you go to do the thing that you really want to do and that lights you up and you're mm -hmm. too exhausted to do it. Yeah, that was definitely it. So um, it takes longer than you thought or like you just didn't know how long things are going to take or how hard things are going to take. And so they take longer than you thought. Um, but that's, it's, it's so exciting to hear that you had that cushion when they came to you. Mm -hmm. about night shift because night shift is a whole other level of exhausting and so then it's like how am I going to fit this in while also trying to sleep during the day and do all of the things and no thank you it just wouldn't have been possible it wouldn't have been possible I don't know how people do it <laughs> I worked nights one time like early in to my nursing career and that was and that was when my husband was home more and I was like that's just this is just I can't do this. I can't function because it's not as if I can go to come home and go to sleep. Like I had kids, I had a house to run. Like, so I was like, no, I can't do that again. Yeah. I swear half the, like, I mean, I don't have kids, but I swear half of the way that parenting is able to happen is because they're in school. So, and like at the same time that you're at work. Yes. So otherwise, how does that function? I don't understand. Um, it doesn't. I hear of, um, my grandmother was a nurse mm -hmm. and she did like the afternoon shift, I think. Um, so it was kind of like she'd head to work before my dad and her siblings would get home from school, but then she would get home at like 8 p.m. And like, even that sounds hard. And like, yeah. you know, um, this is also obviously a different generation. So um, <laughs> my dad and his sisters would come home from school and there wouldn't be anyone home, which is very different to my childhood. Um, but like, it's just like, how, how would you do that? And so I can see how if you had decided to go, well, I decided I was going to do a year. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to stick it out for another six months that things would be very different. So yeah, I'm glad that you stuck. To and I'm glad I, I got it quit when I did because you know, COVID. Um, yeah, that too. I, and, I could not do healthcare. I am uh, happy that you did it that long. <laughs> like, I don't mean any harm, but like when I heard about how my coworkers were, you know, existing inside this like long-term care facility during COVID, like it just sounded hellish. And yeah, I, I I don't have the spirit to deal with that kind of stuff. Like I probably would have broke mentally from doing that. I don't even think I have the spirit for healthcare without a pandemic. So um. it's not. I mean, it's, like it, it's hard to say. I, I like some people are like, well, how, don't you miss it? Don't you miss taking care of people? I was like, yeah, that's the good part. But then, like, you lose patients, and then there are some days that you're just dealing with nothing but bodily fluids, and like, you know. It's just, it's a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and you could help people with your books. Exactly. I mean, you know, people need some level of escapism. It's great. Um, cool. And so um, with the editing, tell me more about 
Um, so you weren't doing that for a certain amount of time, but then you've recently co-edited a project. So tell me about that. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, last year during, um, during the time when Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi was having like all those issues with water, which they still are having, they still don't have water in half of the city. Um, uh, one of my friends who, um, she is a, a historian and she works as a professor and she just like woke up and was like, we're going to do something about this. I was like, we? we (laughs) and she was like yeah she was like we're gonna we're gonna pull together this this uh you know an anthology or whatever and i was like when do you want to publish it she was like like next month i was like ma'am i was like ma'am this is not gonna work i was like we need at least two months so um we just got in the inboxes of the authors that we liked and was like hey we know this is short notice can you give us something like if if we if possible it could be please make it original um not something that's like from that you've already published before and surprisingly everybody said yes and it it's i mean like we're we're still pulling in a good amount of money like 200 to 300 dollars a month for that anthology and it's like one of the things i'm most proud of i was like when we were doing it i was like oh i'm never gonna do that again that was horrible because <laughs> it was so stressful but then at, immediately afterwards i was like so what are we doing our next one um but yeah, it was just, it was, it was different to be on the side where, um, basically on the side of a publisher, like, you know, deciding, uh, which stories fit together best and, you know, getting to the point where we're like, this is going to be way too long. Like we're, we have to have two volumes and deciding which, how we would split it up and, you know, an unintentional, uh, like we didn't tell them that there was going to be a theme, but there ended up being like a theme of, of, uh, diversity and themes about water that, that just kind of tied through all the stories, which was really great. Um, yeah, it was just, it was fun. It was a fun thing to do. And now I think I might want to do it again. I've run some in our community. Like we've had a couple of like little small anthologies in the community that I haven't edited, but I've helped edit. And so I was like, you know, maybe we can do this once a year, have like a, a word makers anthology. Oh, yeah. Well, that's cool then. Because I can see how, because um, within your community, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that shortly, is that, you know, because of the collaborative, like being in a community, you learn stuff about people, like not quite through osmosis, but like you learn from other people how to write better and how to mm-hmm. create characters better and all of these things because you hear other people asking questions or talking about their own character development. And so hopefully what that means is that there's less of the teaching that happens when you're doing the editing. Yes, yes, yes. And basically, you know, like my services are not open to anyone outside of the community right now. Like I'm only working within the community and because they know they've been with me for three or three is it four years now i don't know um i don't know i just i'll just be working um and so they know my style like they're not you know some people just like to you talk to them nice all the time and sometimes nice is not what's gonna get it like sometimes you have to be like friend this is not a book and that's as nice as i can do it (laughs) yeah i think sometimes we are taught that being straightforward isn't kind Mm -hmm. and that that is somehow rude but what you're actually doing I mean it shouldn't be doing them a favor but like that's essentially what it is is you are you are giving them the piece of information that they really need um and so I find like in coaching is that I have to um when I'm giving someone a strategy and I need to give them negative feedback it's like well they need the feedback right I just need to 
see how I can give it in the best way that it can actually be received so that they don't like put a wall up or whatever. Um, but you know, just by telling them that they need to do something or they said they were going to do something and they haven't done it and raising that with them isn't being rude or mean or whatever. It's just the actual situation. And sometimes people need a mirror held up for them. And sometimes like that, like the nice and kind thing is always where I go back. Like I'll tell them, I was like, you know, you're never going to get catch me being nice. I don't believe in nice. Nice has no value. Nice doesn't, you know, have any teeth. Kindness has teeth. Kindness might have a little bit of an edge to it, but in the end, if I'm being kind to you, it's because I am doing it because I care about you and I want you to better yourself. If I would just was going to be nice to you, I can be nice to anybody. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can be nice to a stranger and not mm-hmm. even remember them tomorrow. So I'd rather be kind and, and really help you. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Um, so let's talk about self-published fiction author things. Okay. How does it all work and how do you approach it as like, so, okay, maybe let's start off with my understanding of how like a, uh, I guess you would call it like a traditionally published, is that okay. what you would call it? Yeah. yeah. So a traditionally published person has like an agent or whatever who sells them to a publisher. The publisher mm-hmm. hires them to write the book, gives them the advance. And then I think maybe what an outsider would assume is that they then, the publisher takes care of the um, distribution for the stores they pay to print the book and the, also they pay for all that marketing and pr that gets done and yeah what i'm learning is that no they basically just have the distribution distribution is it th- and the basically the advance that they are giving you is based on the fact that they think you're going to sell lots of lots of items that they can sell into a store um and there's a certain amount of risk involved for them and so therefore they only do um realistically like people who have possibly like written a book before or have some other history or that's why we see so many um non-fiction who mm. you know like they've written the a book now but they also yeah like they already um had a very established like maybe they were already a public speaker or something and so mm-hmm. um self-publishing to me always was like oh well i'm missing out on that piece of um distribution but also the marketing they're going to pay for the marketing but what I'm learning is like they don't, they don't maybe don't do that for you anyway. And so then because because they are giving you the advance, they then have some control over what you write and what you write about and the genre and what the book cover looks like and how it gets promoted. And yet they won't actually do it for you. No. <laughs> so then you you have to do it as the self-publishing person, um, as the actually traditional publishing person, mm-hmm. whether you're self-publishing or not, you still have to do all of the PR and the marketing and everything yourself. Um, so let me know if any of that was incorrect. <laughs> no, you're, you're spot on. Um, for the most part, uh, traditional publishing, it used to be that you could expect them to do a little, do some marketing. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's pretty much like they want you to come to them with an audience already. Um, you know, Twitter, TikTok, something. Um, they want you to be able to, they want you to know who your reader is, even though you've mm-hmm. never written a book. They want you to know who your reader is, how to find them, where to find them, how to sell to them. Just none of this is your job. You just wrote a book. <laughs> but you have to know all this stuff when you show up. And then uh, they're going to send you to Canva and tell you to create your own images <laughs> and tell you how. Like, here is a TikTok tutorial. This is how you do this. And you need to get all the TikTokies. Um, 
like literally and that's if they, they they even send you a link to a tutorial but like most of the time mm. they'll be like oh well you know people are having great success on tiktok maybe you should get on tiktok and you're like i don't do social media i am a writer <laughs> i am a writer i came here to write um and I think that too, like you, you really did hit on a point that uh, that's really the big picture of it is coming together now. Like so many of the publishers are like, they're forming like Voltron. They're all just buying each other out and they're coming together and coming together. And there's like a million imprints of like us publishers. It used to be the big 10, then it was the big five. Now I think we're down to four, maybe. Wow. So really it's just all the same places. It's like, um, medical where you think everything's coming from different places and yeah, but it's really just places. Mm-hmm. it's like the beauty aisle at the supermarket yes yes companies it's all johnson and johnson um so um pretty much that's where we are and like uh now that the t- the tables have turned no one is really doing the diversity initiatives like all of the the non-white editors and agents that they hired they're all getting fired now um, all the, the books that they acquired now suddenly are unable to be published because of X, Y, Z element of me. We don't really have any answers. Um, so it's really going back to what kind of books can we sell to businesses? And that has literally been the thing from the beginning. They Publishers do not care what readers want. And I know that sounds crazy to say it. They do not care what readers want they just care about what they can sell to big box stores like walmart costco um barnes and noble they just care about that um and if it doesn't have the right cover or it doesn't read like something else that sold well in their catalog they're just not interested in it and it has really kind of flattened what people consider fiction and like when it comes to romantic fiction which is crazy like i've been here for like too long 13 years writing romance and it's kind of like it used to be we had a little bit more wiggle room now and now it's like no we have to write it to this formula like everybody has to write to this formula not just this particular imprint who wants you know only billionaire romances with you know the hero looking like this and the the heroine looking like that. But now it's kind of like, okay, we want a three act structure, you know, by 60%, there should be some steam on the page and like just basically a formula for it. And it never used to be uh, that, that strident. And I think that like people love this whole thing. It's like, you can get your book really popular by, you know, getting a gang, getting a following on uh, TikTok, but Two things are happening here. It's like a lot of these self-publishers do not have any uh, foundation in like what true storytelling, like learned how to tell a story. Like they know how to tell a story, but they don't know the mechanics of it. So they're writing books like other books that they've read. And then all these people are reading books that are just like the other books that the other people read. And now everything is exactly the same and everybody wants the same thing over and over again. And anyone who kind of breaks out a little bit, it's like, okay, but why should we like this? Why should we pay any attention to it? And it just makes it hard for visibility. That and also 1.7 million books get published a year. Oh, wow. The thing that comes to mind when you talk about that formula is that they have created it in such a way that something like AI or like, quite a poor like a poorly written book if it fits the formula it's like it still ticks the boxes and it still gets published 
and they are very, very scared of AI. Like the, the whole AI conversation in the romance community has been at feverish levels because they're like, oh no, you know, like we're going to lose our jobs. And I'm like, girlfriend, if you're not writing something that AI can regurgitate, you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. Your readers are not the readers who are going to read an AI romance. Like, is it going to make it difficult for a while? Yeah. But, you know, eventually everything's going to settle out because people are going to get tired of reading the same bland crap over and over again. Yeah. And like, oh, I'm on page 200. Guess I'm going to find out who the second suspect is or whatever. And it's like, you know, you get to a point where like there are shows like, say, like SVU where the reason that people think of SVU as like a comfort show is not because of the actual subject matter. It's because there is a rhythm to it. So like by the second ad break, you know, whatever. I remember watching shows when I was in high school. And of course this is at the point where it's not on demand anymore. So it's like, it's nine 15 and like, you know, if it's eight 40 PM, which means we're 10 minutes into the TV show and we think we've found the suspect well then obviously we haven't actually found the no that's a red herring we've still got we've still got way too much of the show to yeah. go and it just becomes too obvious but you get to a point i mean when you're reading a lot of books it that's as a reader that's not going to be particularly interesting because you know yes you like your things but like well yeah i guess there is to that comfort piece i think there's there's well, I'm, I'm I'm naming two groups, but there there is a group of readers who do enjoy the SVU comfort read. I want to know exactly what's happening. Those are kind of the people who um, came up reading Harlequin Presents or like you know the the the, the historical romances with Fabio on them. Like they all have the same kind of um, formula, and those people enjoy the books that have like the same formula. And then you have a romance readers like they they may not recognize the formula. Like they want you to hide it. It's like mm. the formula is there, but they want you to hide it. And like, they have some expectations, but not nearly as many expectations as the person who reads like the, like the old school formulaic romance. And then you have the other people who are kind of a hybrid of the same thing. It's like, I want you to hide the formula. Like, I don't want to see it, but I also want to know by page 60, this will happen. I'm like, I don't know what you're asking for here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to satisfy this. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's just a, like a kind of almost like a deterioration in um, how people are reading what's happening on the page and just kind of wanting like a, a, a box to put it in. And if it's not in that box and they're just kind of like, oh, well, this is this is not a romance. I've heard that several times about things that come, have come out in the last two years. I'm like, this is not a romance. I'm like, mm, this is actually a romance. <laughs> like just because it didn't happen in the sequence that you're used to or like in the time frame that you're used to it's still a romance it's just not one that you that has a formula that you like Hmm. yeah so when it comes to marketing the books um is it because you have obviously more than one book now is it more of a holistic brand you as a romance author or is it more like book by book you know, you're promoting like the premise or the hook or the. It depends. Some of them, uh, some of my books are more tropey than others. Like they lean heavier on like enemies to lovers or whatever. And then I have some that are kind of like more like women's fiction, but with strong women, romantic elements. And those are actually harder sells for me. Cause I can never figure out like what, 
what makes somebody read this? And I, like, I'll try to lean on tropes and then people will be like, well, this is not your typical cop romance. I'm like, good. <laughs> That's not what I wrote. Um, but um, yeah, it's, I think over time it's become people coming to me because of me as the author, like they're coming from my voice and not necessarily the book I write. But for new to me readers, like it's generally like, oh, I like this trope. You have this trope. Somebody told me about this book that you wrote that has this trope, you know, that sort of thing. So it's, it's like a romance version of SEO. Yeah. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. So how much of your marketing time is that you doing like marketing versus, um, you know, like looking at those tropes or figuring out what you can put in it because of that word of mouth piece? Mm. I very rarely ever write to trope. I just write the book and then figure out the tropes afterwards. Um, uh, and then how much time spent creating marketing materials? Like a lot now, <laughs> a lot. Because um, for the, like the last decade or so, everybody was leaning very heavily on social media. Like social media was the way that you were pr- promoting and marketing your work. And it's like just, it was really just promo we weren't paying for ads or anything we were just blasting our timeline with like pretty pictures and links that's it and um now the algorithm has gotten like so impossible to be seen um i've gone back old school like i'm creating long-form content to drive more organic traffic just from regular searches and let me tell you that's still hard too like that's harder than i it was before um like it used to be like you could throw up a couple of posts a month and you know people who read your blog or whatever they would share it and it would circulate a little bit now it's like wow like the little the little hill is not going up as quickly as i would like there's lots of peaks and valleys um and i have to think a lot more about seo like on the page than i used to before like i'm i'm framing all of my posts in such a way that it's it's targeting people who want to read a book about this topic that is in this particular article um which is fun in its own way it's kind of a different sort of creativity but my god it's so much work like this is a whole nother job yeah yeah <laughs> It's, it's a your job. job just doing it's a thing. full-time job and then yeah um <laughs> and then well then there's also the piece of like you know before we were talking about like some people have had success on tiktok well most of the book content that i see or at least like the stories that you hear about books going viral on tiktok it's not from the author's content it's because some book blogger mm-hmm. posted about it and therefore it picked off like there's um it's, it's all there's actually yeah there's one author that i know of who i think i believe was traditionally published and i believe now has sold like the movie rights so you then therefore you never know how much of this was like um strategic but it was something like they were like making content completely unrelated to the books but like of her husband making comments about the movies they were watching i can't even remember what her name was which means that it's probably not good marketing for her books but it was like and then occasionally they'd just mention that she was an author kind of a thing of like you know but it's like who who does that on purpose like unless it's like one of those like plants of like your um like you hear of musicians whose manager has commented on their tiktok and said you should make a song about x and then they start making the song (laughs) making the song yes oh wow um but i am not that scammy i don't have the energy to create that kind of thing oh wow every time i hear about stuff like this i'm like wow 
I don't know what the kids are doing. <laughs> I have a feeling that that one with the how her 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 it's like her and her husband going back and forth about movies and stuff that they watch. I have a feeling that that was just something that they were doing for fun in the pandemic, and then the fact that she was an author has just kind of like come up a few times, and so maybe that's helped her book sales. I don't know, um, but it's kind of like the, because it's not promotional book content it's very hard to make and like be like okay i'm gonna become famous on tiktok of like how do you plan that yeah especially since like it's such a it's a churn right so and then you get addicted to the whole you know the dopamine of like oh this is Mm -hmm. this has gone like kind of viral well now i need to create another one like that and what i say i call this like visual noise like it's just noise um and as much as like people are like oh you need to get on tiktok and put something up there and i'm like but what though like (laughs) i don't believe in creating content that's just noise like i either want to start a conversation or i want Mm -hmm. to talk about my books i want to talk about a theme or a topic that i'm writing about i don't understand the point of just putting up a slick video that's done to a trendy sound Um, essentially a movie trailer but a book yes but it's like the same one over and over and over again and every and then it's like if you go to one of these classes on how to make tiktok for authors and then they're telling you to do the exact same thing that this one other person went viral for so now you're all making the same dumb video sorry you're all making the same content and and what does what good does that do because now you're all making the same noise right like it's it's just that you just scroll by it nothing is really catching your eye um and also you're not teaching people anything about your books except for you kind of write a trope like this person over here but y'all might be two totally different authors um and i just don't enjoy the 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 constant creating of the content that that seems pointless like without a goal the way that they do the way that they teach you to do it it's literally like social media should be the end of your promo not the, the beginning and the only but that's the way for the last 10 years or so people have been taught it's like oh this is this is your marketing I'm like no it's not that's not marketing that's just promo you're doing promo hmm. yeah exactly um i remember you saying at one point on some it was either a, a meeting that we were in together in the being boss community or it was on the being boss podcast where you mentioned that for authors once they've had like 10 books it also starts a process of once you get a reader, then they're more likely to read multiple of your books. So you're mm-hmm. able to like get two sales for the right. one customer. Right. Um, how has that changed for you since you've started writing more books? Um, actually, that part is still doing great. Like a, I sell books regardless of whether or not I talk about my books at all. I would like to sell more books. <laughs> that It would help if I published more. I haven't published a book in a year. Um, but um, burnout high uh like my books sell themselves i don't necessarily um i don't necessarily do a whole lot of promo for specific books i do um in my newsletter i will you know put like a little hey if you haven't read or if you read such and such because like you have them separated by lists or whatever like if you came here to read so and so like so you, you like this trope it's in this book that sort of thing but for the most part it's still a lot of word of mouth and that that is more that has done more work for me than anything else um like people will come and be like well will you never talk about your books here i was like yes i am i'm talking about my books i'm just not talking about them in the same way that everyone else is Mm -hmm. um 
but it also kind of that that is kind of helping me um position myself for the type of reader I want and not necessarily uh like a one-off reader I want a reader who's going to read everything I write not someone who's just going to come here for this trope um so yeah like it's still back matter is still selling you know like somebody buys a book and like here's the next book in the series here's a book that's like this book Here's a book that's in this world, and it'll just keep click, click, clicking all the way through. Um, and that's the kind of marketing that's that's basically free. It doesn't do anything. All you have to do is just put it in there and add a link. Um, and it's a lot of that's a lot of authors are skipping that. They're learning it now, but a lot of authors are skipping that, and they're still instead spending a ton of time creating social media content. Yeah. So, what things are you doing to get people on your list? Is it like read the first chapter? Is it um, learn about the behind the scenes? Like what what are like the hooks that get people onto your email list? Uh, free short stories about uh, characters I've already written. Um, That's cool. Those are always, those are always good hooks. Uh, I do do like a roundup at the end of the month of like all the things that I've written. And um, sometimes I'll include a little excerpt because once I finish the book, then I'll put that in there. Um, but, you know... Uh, for the most part, like excerpts, I found excerpts don't really work. They because they just want the book. They're like, when is this book coming out? Uh, is there a pre-order link? If there's no pre-order link, I'm not going to remember. Um, but yeah, I think uh, short stories are always the ones that work, or like epilogues, or extended, or side characters that people were interested in. Like if someone emails me more than two times about side character i'm like okay let me write a little something about these people and give it to them and those those type of things start to work better than others so still free content free giving it away for free still works yeah it also kind of sounds like world building like in Mm -hmm. a way where like science fiction people do of like there are all the different ways that you can have the different things around like say star wars for example there's all the different these the main core like is it six movies and then there's all of the others you know like the disney tv shows and the whatever that are like Mm -hmm. the new stuff but even before it was like i'm sure there were like comic books and like book versions and all those things so it's just like world building that you do in a different way which also means that by being on your email list they get more than they could by just being like a consumer who reads all of your books they can actually like get more from you by being on your email list rather than it being like i'm on an email list so i find out when a new book comes out it's actually, I can get more in the meantime. Right. So. Right. Yeah. That's exciting. I love that. I love that approach. Instead of like, how can I just like tell more people that I'm an author? It's like, how can I actually like make people care? <laughs> because nobody cares. And yeah. and, then, <laughs> and like what? It, and it's always that kind of angle when someone is like, well, you, if you get on TikTok and do a dancey dance, no one's going to notice because nobody's paying attention. I'm like, yeah, but I pay attention. I know I did that dumb little dancey dance and I know it's out there. But if I'm giving away free content, that's different than, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm leaning on my yeah. skills versus trying to pick up new skills that may not necessarily work. Um, so, and I think that a lot of more, a lot of more, a lot more authors should lean on their more dominant skill like i know that we are in a visual and and video and audio world now that's like the draw but if you're a writer you should write and if you can like if you can figure out a way to do it like i have there's an author that's in my group who does a podcast and like once a week 
yeah, once a week she has an episode. And then uh, if she releases a book, she'll read the first five chapters of that book wow. as episodes on her podcast. And I'm like, that's very brave. I'm not reading that filthy stuff I write. That's that's so that's something I pay someone for. I just can't do that. Uh, and maybe I'll get over it eventually. But, you know, but it's like that's an excellent marketing idea. Right. So and, you know. She her podcast has been going for what, like two years now, and she's seen a lot more interest in her books just by doing that. And that's not paid ads. That's not, you know, constantly creating images for a content churn it's it's just her sharing what she already has just in a different uh, format i think you have to get creative in a way that suits your skills and talents without you having to kind of like do things that feel uncomfortable because it comes across mm. inauthentic when you do yeah yeah no that makes sense um and speaking on that of like the audio space is that your books are all of your books available as audiobooks? Mm, they, they will be soon i have cool. i have two 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 duets that are going into audio soon and that'll be cool. yeah sweet so how do you say the name of the app is it scribed script 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 because yeah i'm like i don't know how to read this um yeah, but what I really love about it is that it is, I mean, it's not voice acted, but it's, there's voice actors who are doing the narration of the various perspectives, um, mm -hmm. which are like, um, rather than, you know, you're having to pretend that one person's voice translates to all of the other different ones. Um, but it's also not like rough. an audio movie. Yeah. yeah, that gets rough. Like, there's... I love like the um, the audio dramas that people are doing on podcasts now. That's like my favorite thing. Of, like, I listen to so many shows <laughs> on podcasts. Uh, I really love that. I was like, if I had the money, I would totally do that. I don't even understand how it's done. Like every time I try to research it, I'm like, how do you fund this? Who who do you pay? <laughs> who do you pay? How do you get the money? How do you get paid? Like, it just seems like you pay a lot of money to get it done, and then there's no money coming in. No one has told. Uh, made me understand how you make money from this it feels like a, a passion project and i'm like mm, i don't have that much passion um but uh, like i've heard i've read some audiobooks i uh, listened to some audiobooks where people have like one voice and sometimes they can pull it off and sometimes it's like dude you need a woman to do this <laughs> like the yeah. woman to do the woman's voice and it also probably depends on how the book is written like what kind of perspective is it written from is it first person is it third person is it like does it change um perspectives and stuff they're doing this new thing too with audio where um even if it is two characters like they'll have the woman in the man's point of view like she'll do her dialogue versus him trying to make a lady's voice do the dialogue and i was like huh i like that i like that because sometimes these these guys that the pitching i'm like mm. yeah it's like a bad impression yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but uh yeah audio is audio is where it's at it's just so expensive it's yeah. really expensive to to produce and um you, the roi on it is very very slow yeah yeah it might that makes sense i mean yeah it's it's possibly not everyone's ability to do it the first time around, but I can see how um, when you have uh, a history of books that you're able to open it up to more readers, then yeah. um, also then that makes, like, theoretically, then the ROI is slightly better because you can go from one book to the next. Um, 
Yeah, I really like that. Um, let's talk community things. So when you started the original like challenge, it was just like a hashtag on Twitter, right? Yes. Tell us how that actually started. Um, I think this was pretty, I think I was going through my first, uh, experience with burnout and a couple of months had gone by and I couldn't, like I had a bunch of ideas, but I couldn't get anything to stick. And I was talking to a couple of entrepreneur friends that live near me and I was like, oh, maybe I'll run a challenge, like a five day challenge for, you know, like write 20,000 words for five days. And my friend Latoya looks at me and she's like, well, now you said it out loud. So on Monday morning, mind you, this is Sunday, on Monday morning, I want you to get up and like, just, you know, tweet about it, see what happens. So I did. I got up like before work, five o'clock in the morning, sent a tweet, did not look at Twitter for the rest of the day, came back home around six o'clock and it was like. 30 people was like, yes, I'll do this. How do we do it? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't I just know. made I'm, it up. I'm about to make it up. I just yeah. made it up. <laughs> and, and like the first two cycles of it, we did it just on Twitter. And then people were like, well, we would like to have a place where we can get together to chat, you know, in between challenges. So we tried Facebook and Facebook didn't work. And then we eventually moved to Mighty Networks, which has been great. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. And is it, so the hashtag, well, the original hashtag is 20K in five days, right? Yes. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily like romance specific back then. No, it wasn't romance. It's still not romance specific, but I am a romance author. Most of the people who follow Mm. me are romance authors or romance readers. So my scope, it's starting to change a little bit. I've got a little bit of horror in there, a little bit of, um, uh, a couple people writing thrillers which was really great to have them in the room this time around it was so awesome I was like yes new energy um but yeah uh mostly mostly romance authors which makes it easy to to have conversations like this last time this last challenge we had in June we were in there cutting up and I think the only way that we could have gotten away with that is just because it was just a bunch of people in there writing sex scenes because otherwise that's probably sexual harassment <laughs> You know, but we had like, it's a good time. Like by the third or fourth day, we all start getting a little bit punchy and jokey and stuff. So cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so 20,000 words is like, is that half a book, part of a book? Like do people start their books and then this gets them, like the challenge gets them partway through the book or are people finishing their books with the challenge? Is it timing based? All of the above. Um, 20,000 words is just kind of, I, I needed a gimmick, but we're really, it's really just about time, like sitting down and making time to write. And I've skewed away from like, you know, the real output conversations and just talking about uh, setting up a writing routine and getting in the habit of seeing like, when are you most productive? What do you need to do before? Blah, blah, blah. Just to help people create a writing ritual. Um, but 20,000 words, it's like a short novella. It can be like the first third of a book you can finish a book you can outline a book if it takes you twenty thousand words to do that it shouldn't that's kind of mad but (laughs) (laughs) you know maybe if you got carried away and started writing yeah yeah Um, unless you're like writing the hobbit like because that's theoretically that was an outline for the lord of the rings but wow yeah that's a long outline that's how he started it (laughs) just as like okay this i want to write this other story but this is where it starts. And he just started writing about little short, hairy, heated people. 
and that became its own story. But like every element that's in Lord of the Rings is built out of The Hobbit, if you've read it. But I mean, we read The Hobbit in school. We didn't read Lord of the Rings. I wish we did. I have never read any of the books and I Oof. really need to. But of course, by the time I was old enough to really understand Lord of the Rings, the movies were out. So, and I'm from New Zealand, which is where they filmed them. And the so pretty director is the director is the Kiwi, and the guys who do all of the um set design that's like limiting it very much. (laughs) But like all of the like costume design and all Mm -hmm. of the stuff, like where to workshop, that's that's New Zealand based. Um, so there's like an extra part of it being woven into our culture, but then the books aren't Kiwi related. So. No, they're not. Um, yeah, no, but I do not. own The Hobbit and I believe my parents own all of the, all of his other books. Um, but yeah, I do really need to, really do need to read them. I mean, um, you don't, you don't. Well, I could do the audiobooks. You could. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit down and read that. Like it's, hefty. it's, it's a tone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't well, believe many of them. <laughs> yes, many tomes, all of them. Even the outline <laughs> the is a tome. My life. Yeah, <laughs> even the Hobbit is that's supposed to be the outline. That is a tome. It's like five hundred words. It's it's way too many words. It's way too many yeah. words, and and it's it's high fantasy. So it's kind of like you know a lot of it is just kind of wandering through the countryside, looking at stuff, and that's on the page. And I'm just kind of like, we could have skipped past all of this, friend. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the story yeah. begin? Um, yeah. But yeah. But then, I mean, it was written a while ago. Oh, well, this is still a tactic that people use. Uh, yeah. Having re- edited fantasy, like, sometimes I'm just kind of like, can we take, like, three of these paragraphs out? Like, are they necessary? Because it's just like a, it's almost... A, it's not it's not a genre convention but it's kind of like a reader expectation i think for like this like deeply immersive i don't know lots of description uh it it, it's a lot (laughs) yeah i mean it's how people know so much about like the world of that thing is because of some of that stuff but a lot of it is like you get you can get a little bit lost with it yeah so with the with the challenge is it um like the the modern the current one um is it that you um everyone sits down to read is there any like sh- i mean writing is there any sharing aspect or like collaboration pieces part of it or i would is it love there to be like... more collabs i would love it to be more collabs it is five days i would love it to be more collaborative like uh like all of us kind of writing something together that would be cool i don't think it would ever work um like as i was thinking about it, i was like mm, yeah no that's not gonna work too hard um but i do um we do share quite a bit like uh at the end of the like we'll do three pomodoro sprints and then at the end Mm -hmm. you have an option of talking about your work if you're having any problems with your work or just sharing about your work um we had a couple of male romance authors in our group this last time and like every time they would talk we were like oh that is so cute it was very much like we have a guy in here (laughs) Let's make it feel comfortable. <laughs> he didn't really have a cute story though. Um, so yeah, like we share, we share. Um, mostly people share their woes. We try not to do that too much because you know writers can get in their feelings really easily, and then it's like, oh no, we've been talking about your horrible thing for hours now, and we don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, sharing is part of it. 
how do you split your time across all of the things? Because with the community, there is an element of hosting. Like, yes, you show up to write inside the challenge and outside the challenge. Um, but you're also potentially hosting some of those Zoom times. There's like posts or whatever to keep the community active. But then you need to like write your books, market your books, have some time for yourself, live your life. You know. Okay, those last two things rarely ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, they're scheduled, like stridently scheduled. It's like, you know, at the end of the quarter, I'm taking two weeks off. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. But um, for the most part, uh, I I have theme days. Like Mondays are just like today. It, I work on uh, blog posts or ideating blog posts or ideating for content for the community. Uh creating like just a list of affirmations and stuff I can share in there. Um, writing prompts, that kind of stuff. All that gets done on Monday. And it's just, I just do it on a continuous basis. So I'm not like getting to the bottom of the, like to the bottom of the file, like, Oh no, I have no more writing prompts. Like I just made a habit of doing it all the time so that I don't ever get behind. Where's Lord. Just knock on wood. Um, <laughs> And like, uh, and I'm saying all this because like I, I was really sporadic with it last year and the year before, and you know, like I was very, very overwhelmed, got very, very burned out um, around September of last year, and I was this close to like shutting it. Like I just, I was like, you guys, I, I can't keep doing all this. I can't keep running all these write-ins. I can't keep creating all this content and running all these workshops. Like I am one person, and they promptly said, we're not going to let you close down, and. Uh, now I only run one write in a week. I run on Tuesdays, Tuesdays with Tasha. <laughs> um, and then I'm just left with all the other stuff, which is, it does, it feels a lot more, a lot, a lot easier to handle now that I'm not holding space for so many people. Cause I didn't realize, I think until you do it, like you run a community until you run a community and everybody's kind of looking to you for, I don't know, just looking to you, period like you you know things you that they don't know or they want to share things or like even unintentionally you're just holding information about their progress on a book or their progress in you know looking for an agent or editor or whatever and it just becomes like overwhelming so letting that go letting that go and also like just being kind of detached from the everyday of them writing has is is really helped me uh be able to finish a lot of my stuff if I hadn't done it, I don't think that I would have been able to come back to writing fiction. It's been really hard for me to write fiction lately, which is upsetting. <laughs> uh, but writing about writing has been going great. So I keep doing that um, just to keep the, you know, keep my pen moving. Because I feel like once you stop altogether, it's easy just to, just to stop. It's hard to get started again if you just stop. So I don't stop. I just, you know, shift, it, shift my focus a little bit and try to do something else to keep my creative mind in operation. So how do I split my time? I don't. I just kind of, I have theme days, but like if I sit down to do something that day and it doesn't jive, then I'll be like, okay, I'll do something else. Cool. Yeah. I like that. And also, um, so the other members of your community who facilitate is that just, you know, they are doing that as part of their own writing mm -hmm. practice or are they like, employees or contractors of you no friend no employees i have one employee um but uh they're just moderating um 
they stepped up to moderate. There's five of them now. They all run different days. Some of them run two or three a day. And I'm like, that's all you, friend. If you want to run three write-ins and you have the time and space for it, go for it. I hope no one is expecting me to do that because I'm not doing it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, like some of them are really motivated. Uh, uh, two of them are like, they, they, they're planning like an in-person write-in and they're like, all you have to do is show up. I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. So handing off some of that stuff has been really great and and the people that i've handed it off to i feel comfortable with the level of involvement they they're exhibiting like they're not trying to like run off with the company or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah perfect yeah and i think too there's there's there could have been an opportunity at some point where you could have decided that the community was going to be your main thing mm-hmm. and instead it's something that you do as part of your business but you don't let it take over everything else and so therefore it it can feed you in that way and it can be that like creative outlet and inlet and all of those things without it just like taking over all of the yeah. time yeah yeah it would have been really easy it would have been really easy because especially when it started making really good money i was like oh i can just not do anything this is my job now and then i was like oh wait i just made a job for myself when i quit my job what am i doing (laughs) what am i doing i don't want a job i don't want a job i was like i don't want to be in charge i think the thing too was like i'm so drawn to community and i need to have my human design read at some point and figure that all piece out just to like reflect on it but i do know that like my space or whatever is i think they call it like the kitchen but it's kind of like the the community space like the art room or whatever where Mm -hmm. everyone comes together around the table and kind of um does things but for me uh with like time zones because i'm based in new zealand um how to do the community things it's like how would i how would i do that and then also it would be so time consuming that it would actually have to be my main income source because how and when would I have client meetings because now all my time is taken up by, you know, live calls and stuff. But then I don't really want to just have like what is essentially a chat room where there's no like face to face. So it's like, so then I just don't do it, Um, which may be a good thing, maybe not be a good thing. I feel like there's different, there's different, different community styles. And I think a lot of times in the, in the entrepreneurial world, we have one idea of how communities are run and we, it's really just kind of, lots of FaceTime. And that's how I started off. It's like, you're going to see my face all the time. And then I realized like, oh, no, 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 this is too much FaceTime. I don't even want to see my face. Like how, how are y'all still wanting to see my face every day, Monday through Friday? Are you serious? Um, So like, I think that having, like starting the way that you want to go, like if you want it to be a community where they are spending more time with each other and interacting with each other, then you start it that way. Um, if you want it to be FaceTime and everybody looking to you as the guru, which I don't know why anybody would do that (laughs) wild behavior, but I mean, that's an option (laughs) or like some split of it. Like, uh, you know, we do quarterly things and I run the quarterly things and that's Mm. primarily, you know, like so that people can see me It's like, oh yeah, she's still here, (laughs) but you know, um, but like for day to day, I don't think that it really requires, I, I don't think a community requires as much nurturing and like hands on as people think like that high touch thing is, is what stresses us out all out and what burns us out because you can't do that. You can't do that every day, all day. Yeah. I just, uh, I'd be like 
just completely um, a puddle of brain mush by the yeah. end of it. I experienced frankly. that, like literally. Yeah. Like my brain was leaking out of my ears. Like I'd lay on the pillow. I'm like, oh, there's my brain matter. <laughs> yeah. So what I found is like having that middle ground of like, okay, well now I, when I'm doing strategies with a client, it is a collaborative process that we do while we're in like on Zoom or whatever, um, rather than like we have a meeting, but then I write something. It's kind of like, I still create a document at the end, but I spend a lot more time with them and it's more collaborative, which then means that they are more bought in on the process and we're able to have more back and forth. But it doesn't need to be like a group coaching situation because then you end up with situations where like sometimes stuff isn't quite relevant or people end up being swayed by what somebody else um, is doing in their business. And so while group coaching is something that I could feel like could be an option of like having it so that it's more affordable for people to work with me, but that I still get paid for my time, but I haven't quite figured out a way to do it where people don't just get like FOMO of how each other markets their business and all start marketing their business the same. Yeah. And that happens regardless to what type of coaching it is. Like, you know, like even like in the little small group, like uh, critiques that we do over time, I start to see, you know, like, Oh, y'all are all writing the same things. That's cute. And then like, when I pointed out, they're like, Oh wow, we are. I'm like, no, it's not. Oh wow, <laughs> like it is a bad thing. <laughs> it's a bad thing. This is not yeah. a hive mind. We are here to learn yeah. how to do our things, not to learn how to do their things. Um, yeah. But you know, that's kind of, I guess, it's kind of human nature too, and and kind of how um, uh, information sharing has become now. Like people don't really because they don't really know themselves or or what they want or how they want to talk about the thing they want to do it's very easy for to, them to sit in a room and be like here's someone who can articulate what they want and then be like oh i'm gonna do exactly like she does it and then see how it works and it never does because it's not you um yeah i don't know how you uh, that's uh, mm, good luck <laughs> haven't figured it out so therefore nothing exists yet because until i figure out how it's gonna work i don't really want to set myself up for failure um if you're watching the video version of this you can see i'm being like attacked by the sun yes okay. um in shadow <laughs> I'm, it's very... I'm glowing <laughs> my jawline is glowing particularly um yeah but like the thing is your points of inspiration start to overlap with the people that you surround yourself with. And so like, even when I'm creating content, I do need to, you know, step away and write some notes on my own and then come back and reflect on them and have conversations with people, but then reflect on those conversations by myself, mm -hmm. because just because somebody else has suggested something does not mean it's how I want to do it or, um, that a hundred people feel the same way or whatever um and so like having that mix is so important um but yeah i can see how that works um with this whole business space often we end up talking about like how to make more money um so there is that piece of like theoretically you could be trying to grow your community to be like a thousand members or mm -hmm. 5,000 members or something paid members and that's how you're gonna like scale your business with very little effort how do you approach like business growth and money in that way I am not really concerned with growth 
Um, it's really weird to say that out loud. I really don't care about growth. Um, I, like I don't care about growth. I don't care about churn. I like, like people are always like, Oh, Oh no. So many people left my group. I'm like, okay. So, so they did. And, and a lot of times when people leave, they'll send me like this long message. Like I'm having all of these, these troubles and blah, blah, blah. like, girl, you can, you can leave. It's fine. It's not an airport. You don't have to announce your departure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also you can come back if you can always come back life. and that's literally what i tell them is like if things change we're always here when you when you're ready to come back and i think by not being super concerned with growth i have seen growth in a way that feels more comfortable for me i don't like whenever i think about oh i'm just getting goosebumps now like whenever i think about like thousands of people coming in at the same time like i want to vomit cool yeah and not because it's like, oh, no, I have to deal with all these new members. It's just like the responsibility of that many holding space for that many people and making sure that everybody is having good interactions. Like the more people you have in the group, the, the more that becomes an issue. Um, so, no, I, I'm not really concerned with growth. I will create workshops that eventually I will probably sell outside of the group. I've got enough now to sell outside of the group. Like it's like one off packages. But no. Uh, growth is growth is growth as it happens. I don't, that seems like a very bad business statement to say. I don't know. I just, I just don't, I, I don't care about growth in that way because like, if I need money, I can always be like, okay, let me open my editing books and get some more clients. Um, I have other talents. I, besides like just bringing people to me, which is an overwhelming thing. Like, I know people say, oh, Leo's love to be the center of attention. I, it's not great. <laughs> that is the one thing about like star signs and, and human design and everything is it's not always a hundred percent accurate because it's, it's literally just like the day you were born. Um, and yeah. like your life, uh, happenings and experiences have changed a lot of who you are and what you do and all of the things. Like I would be a completely different person if, something different had happened when I was 18. I did take a uh, career quiz last week or the week before. And what was hilarious was that the answers that it gave me were marketing manager and event manager. And guess what I went to school for? Event, <laughs> event manager? management. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That was on point. Yeah. Huh. Yes. I found that so hilarious out of this, like, you know, 16 questions. I'm like, how do you, mm, that's weird. Um, but yeah, basically I wanted to be like uh like manage festivals or whatever. That and would then be cool. the one teacher that we had who was actually still working in event management was like, mm, it's a lot of long hours and all of these things. And I was like, Yeah, I think but but before that point I had already picked up marketing as like a this isn't really challenging me. We didn't plan a single event the entire time. It was all theoretical. So I picked up marketing as something to like challenge me, um, which is good because that's where I've ended up. And with something like the pandemic, I was like, well, I'm really glad that I didn't go into events yeah. because <laughs> now your, I'm happy about it. Your business it. is dying. Um, and people are still trying to recover from that. Um, yeah. But like, a, like the, I, I think a lot of the time we have like this idea of what we want to do or who we will be. I, I always knew I was going to be a writer, but um and like my mom will say this, she's like, yeah, you've always written, like you would write little books and stuff when you were like six and staple them together with construction paper and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, I was always going to be a writer, but y'all convinced me that it didn't make any money. So I went for school, <laughs> went to school for something that made money. 
And then eventually after I made money, I was like, hey, that's that's not all that great either. I would just like to do something I like to do every day and be able to talk to people about the thing I like to talk about. Like whenever I think about the fact that majority of my time is spent reading books, writing books, and talking about reading and writing books, like the 13-year-old Tasha is very happy about that. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about growth is that sometimes you can end up in a situation where yes, your business has grown, your business has scaled, your revenue is a lot higher, but your day to day is now not actually what you potentially want. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I, I know what I want to do in my day to day and it's just figuring out everything else. And also I'm not really driven by like money or fame. So how can I do the things that like, how can I have conversations like this still but not in a way where I'm like focused on how many views that it gets or whatever. It's just about like, which then leads the decisions of who I invite and how I promote it and all of these things. Um, so that it ends up in a way where I want it to, so that I don't become like the owner of a podcast network or something, which just sounds so um, uninteresting to me beyond the point of the strategizing because obviously that's the piece I find interesting. And then beyond that, like the day-to-day of running that, I would be like, hmm, no, I'm, that's somebody I'm, I'm else out of here. Bye. Get somebody else yeah. to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty much where I'm at too. It's like, you know, it, could I grow this community to the point where it's like something that has thousands of people in it and like we're running events and stuff like that? I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, but then that would be my day-to-day and I wouldn't get to read a book or write a book or talk about reading and writing books. I would talk about people who are reading and writing books versus me doing it myself. And yeah. part of the thing that I wanted, like part of the reason why I had to take a break from editing too, was because like, I was like, I quit my job so I could write more and I haven't written more. It's like, none of this makes sense if I'm not doing the thing that I'm not working a traditional day job to do. Yeah. That makes so much more sense. Yeah. I love that. Um, let's wrap it up with some quick fire. Okay. Um, so who inspires you in business? Uh, this is going to be really trite, but yes, Emily Thompson. Like I getting to <laughs> getting to know that little weirdo has been uh, like the highlight <laughs> of like being in that community and just seeing her transition from you know like a really thriving online business to uh, a brick and mortar business and how excited she is about that it's just it's a really a gift to know somebody who is that smart about business and also just really laid back about it doesn't care about sharing everything that she knows um will volunteer things she knows um yeah emily yeah no, that's amazing. Um, a couple of other people have mentioned her, but if anyone has missed that, that's Emily of Being Boss and Almanac Supplyco. If you want to yes. go check her out. Um, what creative pursuit are you enjoying or feeling drawn to right now in your work or personal life? Mm. And it can be writing. It is writing, um, but also kind of like I'm really into this writing about writing. Like I know it's really goofy, just like all of a sudden I'm concerned about SEO, but like I'm I'm excited about the data that's coming out of it now. So I'm just like, oh, okay, that like I'm doing this right, um, which is weird because I I was very resistant to learning SEO before. I was like, this sounds too businessy. I don't want to do it <laughs> because I am a writer. I am not a business person, but apparently I'm both. Um, So that's been fun. That's really like been sparking joy lately. Um, And uh, pulling back from social media has been sparking joy. 
uh, I've suddenly discovered that my friends are still in my phone, just not on social media. <laughs> like we can text each other, we can talk to each other on FaceTime. So that's, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, what is your favorite place on the internet right now? I'm going to say Pinterest again. Ooh, I, I, like I, like I used to be really into Pinterest, like when it first started, like when there was only like a couple of thousand users and, you know, I got into the habit of only using it like for recipes and stuff like that. But now like my boards are growing again. It's like, Ooh, I want to redo this. I guess too, because I'm at home all the time now. It's like, Ooh, all of these home projects. I want to you know, like do all these things and traveling like those boards are spilling over again. So yeah, Pinterest, cause it's just Pinterest. I don't have to. There's no numbers attached to it. I don't have to interact with anybody. Yeah, I love Pinterest as like it's the one thing that kind of comes under the social media umbrella that you can go to and really not interact with other people, but really just like curate a fun thing for yourself and mm -hmm. it not be about comments and all of likes all of the and shares and numbers and, and mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah and like maybe if you're approaching it from a business sense of like how can I share my content onto Pinterest it could be but you can also just make a board about veggie gardens and that's fun too that's what I like doing yep <laughs> uh what are you looking forward to the most in the next year of business um Hmm. Writing, publishing more books. Uh, also doing more uh, in-person stuff. I, I, I'm going to do my second book signing at the beginning of August. And I did one back in March. And it was the first time that I'd done them probably in like five or six years. Because I had, I don't know, I, I got a, kind of disenchanted with greater romance landia and the energy that was there. But I found a couple of like small ones that are more intimate and you get to talk to the readers more and you know it's just like a bunch of authors that I kind of love anyway that like I'm glad I know offline now so yeah more in-person stuff probably that's so exciting I love that and also that you were doing a book signing without it being like part of like a big thing it's just like this is a book signing and the people that love me will come for all of my books yeah it's yeah. it I know that people mm, there are still the bigger signings, like they just had like the big book bonanza thing that's run by Colleen Hoover and like people sell hundreds of books there. And like, I'm just not that big convention person. My anxiety is not set up for meeting hundreds of new people a day. Like I would just turn into a puddle and just be under the table. Um, but this is like two hours, maybe 50 to 100 people come in. You know, we have some mimosas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to be, this one's going to be in Charleston. The last one was in New Orleans. Like if you can take me to cities that I love and I can have a drink and meet people and talk about my books and talk about my friends' books, then, you know, that's a good time for me. That's a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Not the like trade show equivalent of like. No, no. Hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Well, like at least it feeling like hundreds of thousands. Um, What are you looking forward to the most in the offline world in the next year? Me and a friend of mine are trying to plan a trip to Cartagena next year. Mm -hmm. um, That's fun. Yeah. And I haven't been out of country since the, you know, beginning of pandemic. I haven't taken a flight longer than five hours. So I'm kind of, you know, you know there's a little bit of anxiety <laughs> there, but I'm excited. Like we wanted to go to Colombia, and like, she's always super chill to, to travel with. So 
I want, I'm excited to start traveling again, like just to kind of break the seal and like do it again because I, I'm tired of the United States. This place is uh, not great. <laughs> you need a break every once in a while, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so the big question, if someone is listening to this episode and they want to grow their own business, what is the one thing you recommend they do or evaluate next? Evaluate what you uh, consider success to be for you amazing oh i'm gonna journal so many pages on that (laughs) like what is success for you because a lot of times when we get involved especially we're in the market research phase of you know starting our business we're looking at all of our peers and people doing the things that we want to do and we're like oh i want to be just like her i want to do this like her i want to do that that." and then you start doing like oh i hate it um (laughs) and then you're starting from scratch and you end up emulating someone else. Um, I think it, oh God, you were about to, about the being boss catchphrase. (laughs) (laughs) I felt it coming, (laughs) but no, I feel like uh, if people took a lot more time to figure out what their values were, then they would know how success would look to them because then they wouldn't be compromising themselves. Just like we were talking about earlier. Like, you know, if you're looking at your numbers and then that, and that is what's motivating you. That changes who you invite on your show, what type of conversations you have. And if that is not like you don't care about talking about the things you want to talk about, fine. But like if you want to keep these conversations fruitful for you and enjoyable for you and for the, the listenership that you built, that that changes how success looks. That changes how you grow. So, yeah. Yeah. And what does success look like for you? Not the things that you have been told throughout your life by teachers, parents, family Mm -hmm. members, friends as to what your business or your life should look like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was amazing to talk about all of the different things that you do and how you do it all and how you prioritize things and what you don't care about at all. I don't care about lots (laughs) of stuff. (laughs) I love it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Digital Hive podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love it if you could share it with a friend or on Instagram and tag me at Honeypot Digital. To find out more about Honeypot Digital and the work I do, or to find more episodes of the podcast and handy tips for small businesses marketing online, head to honeypotdigital.com.